0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, DJs and DJnettes to another episode of the Alfalfa Podcast. We are four radically moderate entrepreneurs and investors swimming in the messy gray ocean, serving up alpha in money, politics, and life. We are Nick Urbani, Eric Johansson, Stephen Cesaro, and I am Arman Asadi. All links at alfalfapod.com. Make sure to hit subscribe wherever you are listening or watching on YouTube and follow us on the socials. And most importantly, hop in our Discord to join the community for the after party and more alfalfa. Yeah, what I've been thinking about, Stephen, is that um, definitely making a a 90-degree turn on this. I think the way that we define democracy today, um, because look, like a, a lot of our economic system is like rooted in, well, first politically, how are we set up? And the democracy that we see today, that we value so much, I actually think is so broken in so many ways. Think about, think about this idea. The fact that everybody gets a vote, we view this as like a noble thing. It's a thing that says equality. All people should have a say, but most people are absolutely blind and stupid when it comes to the things that they're there to vote for. There's no education that they've had to go through to have the right to then place a vote in the first place on the most important matters that shape society. If, if you were, you know, um, actually, ironically, Socrates, who was my GOAT, had this yes, uh, yes, we remember. lesson that he taught. He said, if you were going out to sea, would you want your boat led by seafaring experienced leaders or absolute idiots who have never been on a boat before. Wow. And first this was his analogy for <laughs> the right to vote should actually be contained, not to a few select handful of people with a, uh, a a sort of like very small circle of power, but to the degree in which you have to earn it, you have to become educated, you have to become wise, you have to go through a series of lessons to first understand, because otherwise, if you don't, what happens to society? Demagogues rise. Demagogues are able to take power historically. And and Socrates said this specifically because even pre-Socrates, there were all these examples of democracy that led to demagogues, which we even see today in the last like 10 years especially, we run into these situations of populism because it's rooted in an ignorant society. And so imagine a society, imagine a democratic system in the first place in which you had to earn the right. It wasn't just given to you. It wasn't gifted to you, but you had to earn the right to vote in the first place. Something that's, I think, very controversial because it doesn't sound good. The virtue signaling idea would be to say all people from the moment they're born were all created equal and should all deserve a vote. But what if you had to earn it? What would society look like? I actually think you would see things moving. Um, I think you'd see ultimately a more prosperous so form of democracy. I'll give
1: you a quick take on that and I want to kick it to David. Um populism takes hold I think because government becomes captured by like a group of elites or insiders and they sort of ignore the masses. So I feel like that's just what would happen here, right? Like when you just have like a pre-captured government that ignores the masses and like people used to not be able to vote unless they own land and stuff like that. Right. So I feel, I feel like that was a thing we already tried and maybe was not a good idea, mm-hmm. but, uh, we think David should, should everybody be able to vote.
2: The, the thing that came to mind is this concept of uh, quadratic voting. Have you guys heard of this?
3: Yeah,
1: I've heard of it, but yeah, I don't understand I
2: don't. it. Yeah. Basically you're given out like 10 vote points and you can either like allocate one vote per like issue And just which would replicate like normal democracy? Like, what do you think about this? Or you can take all of your vote points, abstain from most things, and like only vote on the things that you care about. And so it's like, but also it's quadratic, right? So if you have ten votes, but you add add, uh, all ten of your votes to one issue, you take the square root of that. Uh, And so like your ten votes consolidate
0: into three point three votes or whatever equals ten two points. I don't know. Mm, I love Um, that. Who yeah. can actually take in all the information necessary to vote properly in an educated way for every single issue?
3: So that nobody. Right. So it sounds like a, a ranked choice voting, but like a, a little bit on steroids as well.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit of, with a little bit of math, yeah. a little a little bit of mechanism. D- involved. Don't yeah. we kind of have that system with with representation in Congress? Like a um, little bit, yeah. But yeah. that but yeah. the
2: co- representation is where corruption seeps in. Exactly. Right? So this is a little bit more direct, uh, and you don't have any uh, middlemen. Uh, injecting their influence into the representatives.
4: Because I, I tend to think if, if we had direct voting on, you know, almost all things, you know, Kim Kardashian would be president, you know, Kanye <laughs> would be secretary of treasury. Sure. And it, that, that worries me. Do you think the quadratic voting could prevent some kind of mess like that? I mean. Or would, or would it like uh, enable that mess more? Yeah, I get worried, which I guess is the crux of the question. Right. Like should everyone have a vote just because you can drive a car and buy cigarettes and buy a playboy. I was just going to say
0: it's harder to, it's harder to drive a car than it is to vote. Yeah. Voting is completely automatic. Like you still have to pass a driving test at least.
4: True.
3: True. Well, the, the incentive mechanism is all flawed too. It's like, uh, there's no, there's no real reason for you to vote. Like your vote, first of all, doesn't move the needle anyways. So it's like, so you do vote and it's like no vote has ever come down to my vote. So, you know, if I vote or not, it, it it skews the data over a long period of time, but it it, it never alters the outcome directly. So the incentive it, it almost doesn't even make sense. I
1: feel like I feel like we need like a hybrid system. I feel like I I, I like the idea of having delegates that you can just switch on and off in real time like you can vote on everything yourself or you could just delegate your vote to people but they don't run in these like four or six or two year chunks so you can just remove your delegation whenever you want and then maybe those delegates do quadratic voting on the other end
4: Have you noticed anything with optimism in regards to you know delegation of, of votes because uh, I know you know you can choose a delegate there have, have they run into any issues or is it uh, running kind of as envisioned?
2: All of these, like, uh, experiments in government start, like, with a lot of, like, guardrails up. Uh, and so, like, it kind of is going as intended, but, like, the thing that could go wrong or not is that the, the community doesn't show up on the other side to also take part of these things. And that's, like, always the bootstrapping problem of every governance issue. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so like they, they they do like retroactive public goods funding, uh, which definitely takes uh, that same sort of quadratic mechanism of, of funding, uh, same kind of thing. Like one dollar, one vote is kind of the same thing as one vote, one vote. Um, but I don't know too much about the actual governance mechanics and how they are uniquely different than other like DAO governance.
4: I, I've definitely seen some like centralization around delegates. You know, Polinia. Oh, certainly. Doden, oh, yeah. yeah a, that's the status ton.
2: quo around DAOs, I'd say.
4: Yeah, and maybe maybe that's that's good by design that like if, if you had these delegates, you could turn off and turn on that, you know, that they get in a, in a hands of few that, that you trust. Yeah. But then you kind of miss this diversity of, of direction and kind of like combating of ideas, I guess, which can is a good go tension in, in a democracy. Can we go into this capitalism stuff? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Did we All scratch right. your itch? Yeah. yeah. All, <laughs> All right. right. I feel good. we, we just right. had to scratch Ramon's
0: <laughs> so, uh, voting. Thank you. Itch. Thank you. It's itched and <laughs> satisfied. Uh, we'll come back to it at some point, maybe in a democracy episode. But um capitalism's evil, guys. I mean, that's obvious. So <laughs> most of the world's problems, uh, all of the inequity that occurs, the corruption, people at the top, and the you know, the, the white collar guys, all all the corruption in the world that exists is because of capitalism, isn't it? That is really the narrative of today, in so many ways, of so many people, that all money is evil. That capitalism is evil. That the corruption that exists is evil, and that leaves all the poor people and and to suffer. That the uh, planet is suffering as a result of capitalism. That we're placing profit before people, and that we're going to, and the planet, and that we're ultimately killing the planet and people in pursuit of money. And the mechanism and the incentive system itself is designed for uh, the few. And a few very lucky people will ever earn the right, usually because they got lucky and they were born into the right family and went to the right school and it was endowed upon them. And for that reason alone, they got lucky and they're going to run our lives and they make all the decisions that matter. And we are here as little Ponzi's and pawns, as little pawns to have to, <laughs> and pa- I don't know, maybe it's kicking in uh, and we have to, and we have to deal with that. That is a huge narrative that exists today. Is there anything about that that is actually fundamentally true? And is capitalism the best system? Truly, I think is the question.
4: I mean, it's the one that's proven the most amount of results, I think. Like, if if you look at the last, like, couple, you know couple hundred years, and even look at like when we've had peace over the last 80 years. Capitalism is, is the thing that has brought the most people out of poverty and we're not just talking about the United States. Like capitalism, you know, mostly capitalistic uh, countries and their economies have, have brought billions of people out of poverty. And, and we've talked about in the past in previous episodes how, you know, even the worse off person today is way in a, a much better position in, the, in terms of their lifestyle than, than someone was, you know, even fifty years ago, and in so many ways, so, that's
0: due to innovation, right? It's like capitalism is a major driver of innovation and the Industrial Revolution, which is what most of the comforts and we have today are as a result of that, right?
4: I'm just curious if anyone has any points on on which they thought like socialism, or you know, I think that's the the second best alternative or the alternative that gets the most voice. Mm-hmm. Um, has anyone found any points or things that socialism gets right
3: before before we get into full socialism. Can we talk about like, um, the iterative steps before we get there? Like where are the leaks in capitalism? Like the obvious low hanging fruit leaks, you know, like uh, on one of our money episodes, we talked about the leaks in personal finance, some of which were pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. I think there, I think there can be some that we can identify in capitalism. Like, well, this is a leak and perhaps we lean on the loopholes that we've, uh, created for certain participants in capitalism. But I, I think where my, my mind goes is, is like, um, it's like money at large is just a way to standardize productivity, right? Like if there's a chiropractor who wants to do business with a financial advisor like me, we don't need to trade our services uh, one-to-one. We can like instead uh, use money, which like he could have traded with a potato farmer and I could have mm-hmm. traded with another uh, participant in the economy and like, and now we use money. So like money isn't evil. It's, it's just a way to standardize uh, commerce but it's like, okay, so if this is the idea of capitalism, like where does it go wrong most obviously?
1: David, you said that capitalism is good, right? We just do it wrong. Yeah, that's what you're saying right before, right?
2: Yeah. There's like I think people, if you're debating like communism, capitalism, socialism, like I actually think a lot of these isms like inject themselves into the holistic sphere of society at different points. I don't really think that these things are like totally antagonistic to each other. And I think like it's really about a time frame and what part of the society you really want to emphasize. But capitalism in itself, I find like at base principles really hard to argue with. Like mm-hmm. it is the driver of things like yeah. you harness motivation that way. There's no other ism that's going to go faster than capitalism because you harness the desire to like produce easy tools in your life. And then socialism comes in, you, uh, Eric. You were talking about like where do these things like fall apart? Where, do they, where are the leaks? Like socialism comes in when like okay, society has grown so large that the capitalists had figured figured out how to uh, subjugate and like oppress the the other tail the other tail of, of the of society. Right? Like there are the rich and the powerful, and they're so rich and powerful that they've built their capitalism on being able to exploit the uh, other tail end of society. And so then we had need to get into regulation. And that's when like conversations like, well, the tail end of society needs to get regulated and protected so that the capitalists don't turn them all into like sweatshop labor camps, right? Yeah. Like labor camps, bad, bad, good business model, bad morals. Uh, and so like socialism naturally falls after capitalism because you only need socialism after capitalism emerges. And then, like, at some point, communism injects itself into the conversation, too. Mm-hmm. It's really about, like, capitalism is a pure principle. It's corruption that you want to prevent. And it's the people that say, like, I hate capitalism and capitalism's bad. What they're doing is they're lumping in, like, corruption into capitalism and defining that holistically. And they're saying that the long-term inevitable corruption that capitalism creates is a part of capitalism.
4: That's But that's I, say, well I say
2: no... You want to create good government regulation that prevent makes uncorruptible capitalization. And that's when we talk about like antitrust stuff. Uh, but then there's the government and then that becomes corrupted, right? And so when you hate capitalism, you're actually just saying it's a failure of human governance and coordination. But capitalism itself as a principled model is like inarguable.
0: Yeah. When you say you hate capitalism, so many people view this as a binary decision. I either have to be a full blown free market capitalist where I accept no level of regulation and the corruption happens, or I'm on the other side of the spectrum where it's like full blown government, top down communism, socialism, where th- they are making the decisions in terms of like how the market moves. And I think that, as David, you're saying, there is a hybrid solution here. <laughs> there yeah. is the ability to make conscious, good regulatory decisions that allow the corruption, that ensure the corruption doesn't go too far, that the planet and people are taken care of, to a certain degree, while you maintain the level of innovation Necessary to drive people and motivate people to actually produce because we still have a long way to go of production in society before we get to the point where we've maxed out our production levels and everyone just needs a universal basic income. I think it's crazy to think that we're already there, that that we just need to immediately move toward this idea of like socialism and equality for all from day one. We obviously still need these drivers, these incentives, these carrots to get people to produce because you can still become a billionaire today and that is an incentive and you create jobs for people and you create freedom for people and these are all beautiful things ethereum and everything that is here is a result of like some sort of incentive at the end of the day that is
1: based in capitalism is it not do you think i'm going to take this in the left field a little bit but like do, do you think that 200 years from now like what people mean like when we're talking about free markets and capitalism do you, do you think that's still a thing like imagine I, I think, uh, Bology actually had like an interesting take on this because he, he was talking about Uber, right? And how Uber's competitors were sort of analogous to a like free market where there are participants sort of like setting their own rates, which is what most capitalists or, you know, Milton Friedman types would say is like what you, you want. The, the idea is basically that the market can allocate resources more efficiently than like centralized planning. But his twist he put on it was that that ignores bringing technology into this. Like that is just like a, 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 a thought model that only works when you're dealing with humans. What Uber did was it used like AI and machine learning and Uber's algorithm was actually able to set prices and allocate resources in a far superior way than its competitors that were using like the quote unquote free market model so like i i I wonder if super advanced civilizations in the future are like what we have we have computers like maybe central planning is possible if it's done via ai maybe like the distribution of resources and this stuff is possible if it's done with ai so i like i wonder sometimes like if we're just approaching it from just like too narrow of a bubble and only thinking of like just human nature and the, you know, the foibles of humanity. But like what happens if we bring tech into it and in, in a utopian way, not like a Chinese sort of dystopian. <laughs> well, I think
3: way. there's a, another component of it that we're, that we're ignoring too, is like, uh, resources, you know, like, so you use the, the example of Uber, but I'll use the example of Amazon where it's like, when you have a company that has, unlimited resources like you can't even compete in a fair market because like if you come on and say like i'll charge this well amazon can charge less they can take a loss on it in a free market yep. they'll take a loss on it starve you out and now they become the only competitor in this free market and, and
0: then you have a few monopoly demagogues
3: so like the free market the sort of breaks um you eventually know, always eventually Always. And no,
2: I think there's like a plenty of examples where the free market is highly optimized and then other examples where the free market totally breaks. Like you just comp- you just we just brought up two different examples where in one example centralization is great, and then we brought up another example and like, well, this is where centralization breaks. Like centralization doesn't work everywhere. And so like we, we can go back and forth on like here's the examples where right. centralization fucks it up, and here's where it actually works optimally. Um, I, I think the example where an algorithm controls things is a big shift in power towards centralization. And this is like, I think also in what um, uh, Stephen was saying about Bology, I think Peter Thiel also talks about this is that there's two big forces out there in the future. One is crypto, which is a decentralizing force. And one is AI, which is a centralizing force. And so like, I think AI can get pretty damn far. Like if there was some AI controlling Amazon, I think it would get a lot further along before it broke than, than the manual free market example or um, or just like manual, like Jeff Bezos says, what you can buy, uh, and so th- I think that's kind of more more of this, the future is like the strong the strong central government, the strong coordinating body is going to be better done with AI, and then on the flip side of things, you have
0: the crypto, which is the decentralizing tug on this effect. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine like that world in the future, 200 years from now, and I can't imagine. I, I imagine it'll be a version uh of of today that is far more uh based and rooted in equality for all like an equal level starting point for all and that might include some level i imagine we're already getting very close to that even in just our lifetimes of like a a basic income to start and live your life but i can't imagine a world that lacks that incentive structure call it capitalism or whatever you want but some sort of incentive to get me to want to produce in the first place. Because at the same time, I do believe that humans when they feel a certain amount of pressure produce yes. And they need that incentive in order to go produce. But I also know for a fact that, and this is uh, from my own experience, but even just you know generally you talk to people, you have to have a certain level of security in your life to feel creative. If you, are struggling to make ends meet. It's very difficult to go out there in the world and be innovative. And I actually think in a world in which most of our needs are met, we'd see more creativity, more innovation from more people. But as long as we don't lose that outcome that so many people have, which is for a rich and glorious life,
3: keep the carrot, but your, your bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy is met.
0: It will naturally happen. I imagine over time, you know, where we raise the bottom up and that's due to technology itself, like the, 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 and, and some of the things that we've already talked about. So I actually think what we're going to see is, you know, we often talk about like the singularity and these exponential curves that exist. One of those is in technology and, and in, and in economics as a whole production is going to increase as more people go up. We also have what we talked about in previous episodes where we have like this population crisis. So like, that's another challenge, so these two worlds are working simultaneously where on one side, you know, overall production output goes down because of the population going down overall in the world. On the other side, I think you have people rising up, their needs are met, they no longer have to worry about basic things, they have the ability to go and create, and, and that's very good for society.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that is that is certainly getting better. And I, I kind of want to continue on what, what Eric was saying about, you know, wh- where are the leaks? And, and on to what David was saying is that corruption is, is the, the leak that we're trying to fix. And if we can fix that, capitalism... Um, you know, continues on to its greatness and, and socialism is is not this just easy alternative that we revert to. And in the example you brought up with Amazon, you know, libertarians are, are notorious about uh, no regulation. They don't want any regulation at all. But there is one instance where they do appreciate regulation and that's in the form of preventing monopolies. They want the market to, to maintain some freeness. And so m- my question I've been thinking about is like, what is the filter that you apply for when is regulation good and when is regulation bad? Because sometimes regulation or more authority into the government is where the corruption stems from. So what is the the filter that you apply for when regulation is good and when it is bad? Because in some places the free market does an amazing job of doing it. And when you just leave out the regulation, things kind of fall where, 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 it, where it may and where it should. Um, but then you have this alternative side where it's like, well, no, through regulation, we can uh, perfectly manage this system that has so many variables in it. And so, I don't know, have you guys thought about this at all? Like where, you know, where is it good? And are there any examples where regulation is good to have and where regulation should just stay out of, of, the, of the, you know, economy?
0: Hmm. I'm actually David uh David curious if you would actually apply that question to crypto. Like how how would you like to see that in in crypto and how can capitalism play a yeah, role? Yeah, I mean that's interesting cuz I, yeah. I
1: I do feel like a lot of the stuff we're doing in crypto we're like fast playing like all this stuff that already happens and we're just we're just right. doing it super quickly and we're seeing what happens when it all sorts itself yeah. out before regulators can even get involved like trying and, to get to in, a
0: baseline in, really quick, and do anything. So yeah, yeah,
1: I'm curious to, <laughs> I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, no, that's the, the whole like crypto speed running the history of money and finance thing is like super apt. Um, uh, I think there's this, like, there's this principle that I believe in that if you can be regulated, then you should be regulated. And they're baked into that is like, if you are sufficiently centralized where you have, like operators that can know things before the market knows things, that's when you can get regulation. Mm -hmm. There's actually like a cool quirk about like the securities world, uh, that the reason why securities laws exist is actually a question of decentralization versus centralization. That if you're, if you're a company, if you're like a sole, if you're an owner of a business and you have all that equity, you can be like, and, and you're in the public markets you can be telling the market one thing, but then planning on doing the other. And so you can like rug the market, right? And so whether or not your asset is a security or not is a largely a question of like how centralized is the, is the control around that asset because of information, right? Like who's got information ahead of time? So like whether or not your security is a big function of like whether or not you're centralized or decentralized. And so this has always begged the question, if you can be centralized, you will be, uh, uh, if you can be regulated, you should be regulated. And so this is why, like, during the L1 wars, it's always kind of, like, interesting to ask yourself, like, will Solana get, like, shut down by the regulators? Because if it can be shut down by the regulators, then I don't want it in my industry. Because it's, if, in my mind, like, if you are crypto, you are censorship resistant, And if you're not censorship resistant, then you're not crypto. And if you, therefore, if the like the regulators come and play and it's like, you know what, Solana, we don't like what you're doing. You need to shut down. And they have that power. Then you were never crypto in the first place. And I'd rather find that out sooner rather than later, rather than later, Mm. because you were sent, you were sufficiently centralized, then you should be regulated. And then this goes back into like the question of like Coinbase, Coinbase, obviously centralized, Regulate the hell out of Coinbase and the roadmap and the on the and the on ramps and like honestly DAOs that you can regulate deserve to be regulated and so just because they have the name like we're a DAO if they like if the regulators can come after them and pay t- make them pay taxes in a particular jurisdiction then that DAO deserves that and they should be regulated under those rules.
4: So when you say can be regulated, are you essentially coming up with this idea of like a decentralization safe harbor? Meaning if you are decentralized right, where's enough, where's line?
2: Yeah, like. No, no, I'm saying if you're sufficiently decentralized, that is your safe harbor.
4: Because you you don't don't fall under a specific jurisdiction specifically? Yeah. Because you're not in any like US jurisdiction. Right. Okay. And the only
2: way that like you become sufficiently decentralized is that you actually give away all of the keys to the kingdom. Mm. And so it's, it's a one to one alignment. Like once you lose the ability to rug your community or any sorts, then the SEC rightful, rightfully should stop caring about you because that's the point. Mm.
3: How do you delineate between the difference between like y- you mentioned, like uh, a security being something that has like insider information versus not? Right? This is this is what you were you were talking about. Yeah. So like, uh, ETH has the merge coming up, and and our, uh, on our episode on Bankless, when Alfalfa was on Bankless, you you sort of said that you think there's only a hundred people in the world who understand the merge coming up. Right. Um, so that's not like full public dissemination of information. Uh, certainly right. like Apple came out with their iPhone and and people knew, uh, hey, an iPhone's coming out, right? And, and it was more than a hundred people. And that's, that's a security with information that is coming out that uh, right. was probably privately held, but like people knew about it. Like where do you draw that line between sort of like, public or non-public information because, um, one you're probably claiming is a security and one isn't
2: right. So it's about like, is the information private as in locked behind closed doors or just too many people didn't know about publicly available alpha. So the Ethereum core dev calls occur in public every Friday and you can go watch all of those. Their discords are like open. Like Ethereum has this like motto of we build in public. And so there is no private information. Now there's private information in like public or in private equities companies that are on the public market because that's what it means to be a private company. Uh, And so that's where I I draw the line. It's like Ethereum doesn't have insider information. Just because the world hasn't discovered Ethereum yet doesn't mean like it's a security.
1: Hmm. Do do you think that when we talk about capitalism and problems arising from it i i mean you just got me thinking about this um are are all the problems in capital capitalism do did, did they stem from some element of centralization either centralization on like the corporation end of things or the other end is that we sometimes fight the market via regulation which inevitably creates an element of centralization, but, but within government. And then you have this like capture of these centralized interests here. So like, I'm I'm wondering if that in and of itself is the root of, of all of, of, of all these issues. And, and if so, like how, how do you have like a, uh, like decentralized capitalism in a way in the real world? Is that even something that's possible?
4: Hmm. Are you asking like, is, is the, the corruption is the evilness. Yeah. Is it, is it centralized in corporations? Well, or well is here, it here's, in, here's a,
1: here's a, specific example, I guess. Uh, imagine a, a corporation, right? That is polluting the environment, right? This is a good example. You have this like, um, skew of like benefits and, and costs, right? The people who are shareholders of the corporation, um, they realize like outsized gains from the activity of that. And they, they, and and the the costs of it are distributed sort of diffusely over the 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 populace. So there's like an asymmetry in terms of like the rewards versus the costs and in capitalism, you know, even libertarians would say that in you know areas like the environment, like because you are not bearing the full economic costs of your activities, there's this asymmetry there. There actually is a role for government to come in and regulate like these environmental issues. Because there's an acknowledgement of that skew and that skew is caused from like the, I, the, the fact that the, the interests of the corporation are centralized around like the shareholders and, and the owners. If that makes sense.
4: Yeah, I mean, th- there's this concept of like the triple bottom line, which is mm-hmm. you know, one bottom line is obviously your shareholders, the profit that you deliver to your shareholders. There's the stakeholders, which involves your partners, your employees, and then the third is is the, is the environment. And I I do agree Take that me back to college on that one, right? I mean, that's where I got it from <laughs> was an old old business textbook. Old textbook. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I I think about that, and I also wonder like, um, let's say a corporation goes unchecked, and they do kind of. Exploit uh, the environment, and because the costs are spread across, they just continue to do so. Would would the other part of that bottom line with their customers, with the stakeholders, would would the market demand that they change, and and, and would they? Um, I, I tend to think maybe maybe not, um, but there is that market force at, at play. You know, when you consider that triple bottom line.
1: Yeah, what you're referring in part to to something like stakeholder capitalism right Right. which is i i know a popular thing people talk about and obviously like the sort of milton friedman crowd is like no corporation's only duty is to provide profit to its shareholders that's all it's supposed to do and then you know proponents of stakeholder capitalism have this broader kind of it's harder to pin down version of what's happening but like no corporations don't just have a duty to their their profit, they also have a duty to the stakeholders, which are, you know, go beyond the shareholders, as you said, the customers. And I don't know actually who else is literally included in that umbrella, but it's, it's like a...
4: Primarily employees and stakeholders, like partners, is in the stakeholder group.
1: To employees, customers, yeah. shareholders.
2: What's the difference between stakeholder capitalism and socialism? What is the workers taking the means of production other than stakeholder capitalism?
1: I I guess people would probably say that it, it, it's an ownership issue like in socialism the workers literally own the means of production whereas i i guess in stakeholder capitalism it's more of an optimization towards these other interests in addition to to profit but you're not necessarily advocating for ownership
3: of those interests so excuse my uh naivete here uh, <laughs> but there are many ways
0: to pronounce that and the way that you chose is my favorite <laughs> <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh,
3: okay what is that french <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so is is socialism in it's truest sense meaning like the workers own and own the means of production or is that communism or you know where do we where do you draw a line there and then like my question actually is is based around like in line with what we're talking about, it's like, is regulation at all a step towards socialism? Um, And do these things constantly move in just natural cycles where it's like, uh, you know, the true capitalists capture too much power and then you go more towards regulation and then you, you kind of overregulate and you move back towards Capitalism, is this the way that it's kind of uh played out in the United States and like and it's constantly like, you know, Dalio, a guy like Dalio's got me constantly thinking these like long-term cycles. Is is that how these long-term cycles play out? Like in a a constant shift between sort of like unfettered capitalism and then like regulated capitalism, which is like akin to socialism and then you kind of like move back. I don't think it's akin to socialism though.
0: I, I think like regulated capitalism is like on this like far right, barely you know, protruding out toward the middle aspect of the spectrum. But like on the other side of the spectrum, you have, you know, China. And like, that's a completely different. China. <laughs> China. <laughs> Always need to say it that way. And and that's, that's completely different. Like that to me would be, if you were talking about a full bounce between, you know, paradigms, like that's, that's what it would look like. But so the real purpose of so your question China's is. China's
3: communist, right? Like yeah. it's not socialist. Um mm-hmm. uh, like Sweden's socialist. yeah, um, and another great example, yeah, yeah, and like I, the people don't own the means of production in Sweden; they just reap the benefits of the means of production on a on a
4: wider basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so China has you know a, a kind of a unique power in their centralization in their their take on like a semi free market but centrally controlled government in the sense that there's no open market on regulation. China centralizes it and says, this is the way we're going, this is the path we're going, and that has strengths. And I think where America's capitalism has weaknesses is because we literally put an open market on regulation. Because money can influence politics and can influence decision-making, there's a market. Meaning, if you can pay enough, if you can allocate enough resources to influencing the process of making decisions in the lobbying factor, uh, then, then you can... Uh, win that market in terms of regulation. And I think that's where a lot of the, the corruption comes in, in our form. I don't think it's just like this this cycle. I, I think it's constant, this, this combative thing between market players hmm. trying to win the market of regulation. And I wish there wasn't a, a market for regulation.
1: I, I, I actually think Eric's right that there is like a sort of long-term cycle that plays out because I, I, I think you start – Free market, almost like anarchy, right? Like we have in crypto, basically. Mm-hmm. And obviously, in that environment, people get absolutely shellacked, right? It's like wild west.
4: But then the market learns. Just to interject that point, next cycle but, things. But then I, also regulators come in, and then they they will, uh,
3: you know, push their arm on it.
1: The, the The problem with this sort of like, well, then the market learns, right? Is that Humans are like they're they're sticky in a way, right? And it, I think it is true that like that the the market learns, but if it takes two generations for the market to quote unquote learn, and then the process you sort of destroy a lot of lives along the way, then like a lot of people are like, well, that's not a desirable outcome. Even if we eventually get to equilibrium, we also have to optimize for reducing harm of this particular generation but i think you start with anarchy and then you inevitably bring in some element of regulation right but then i think you just go down this slippery slope because you introduce some element of centralization to the system and then you create these like choke points that are they they they're susceptible to capture or corruption and then what happens is people don't go oh we need to remove these things what they go what they do is they go oh well we need we need more checks. Yeah. And then you create Regulate like a new bureaucracy. Regulators. <laughs> and then like, I think this does actually follow this long-term inevitable path where eventually you get to a system that's like so sort of like captured and, and broken and far from the free market that eventually people go like, well, wouldn't it be better if the government just ran the whole thing? Like, why, why wouldn't it be better if we were just China? Um, and then I think you kind of get these like big breaking points and you sort of maybe start the cycle all over again, either from a point of like, you know something again resembling super free market, or you become like you know Soviet Union China style. You go completely the other the the other way.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, when you look at the anarchy example of like crypto, like how many ICOs did you see this cycle versus last cycle? The market learned that like we we don't like these things anymore. True. They're not a good way of like. But wasn't that government? Hang regulation? on, hang on. Yeah, <laughs> wait a
2: second. What what is an NFT other than just a token that you just buy? That all the ICO model was is a token you buy. Right. And that's what bull markets are. So like the same basic principle. Yeah, we don't call them ICOs anymore. But like the same basic principle of I'm going to mint tokens and you're going to buy them is the same thing.
4: Yeah. And then and the next cycle, we, we may see a different model in N- NFTs. And I'm saying that like that process of letting the market figure it out will happen more efficiently, a lot faster than regulation. And we still get the benefits of all the ancillary innovation the mistakes that happened, the the good things that happened and i think we were able to see that if in in crypto this cycle where if if you know government came came along we wouldn't have an nft market if they kind of put the kibosh on early well it, it, hold on i just want to be clear that because like what i was talking about is um in actual terms what
3: do we see play out but i i'm sensing a little bit of from what you're saying is like you're talking from a, a theoretical standpoint. What would you like to see play out? Um, is that is that accurate? Because like, what I think I'm seeing in, in actual terms is like the ICO market was regulated away, and David's mentioning that like we we have this like alternate route now. To but to- was it regulated away? Yeah,
4: absolutely. Yeah. But h- how IC- so? Like, well, what-
2: I mean, overall, the energy left because it went on for too long. But also, all of like, the legitimate issu- issu- issuers, which like, firstly, illegitimate issuers issue a bunch of ICOs, and then like, the legitimate people are like, oh, there's money? We'll do this too. And then the legitimate ones are like, wait a second. No, we just violated securities laws. we got to stop. And that's where the buck stopped, and then the bull market ended.
4: So, you think it was already, uh, it was kind of self-regulated in the sense that it started off almost mostly illegal, and then yeah, people realized, oh, this is, this is not the way, pa- not, not the way yeah. forward.
1: I mean I mean crazy. I I assume you don't think completely you, I mean the vibe I get from you is you, you don't seem like a complete like anarch free market anarchist no. right so you no. you think there's some element of regulatory control or guardrails that that is good but like what is your yes. what is your framework for how you think through that mm-hmm. in terms of just like all all markets if you can be regulated
2: then you should be regulated that's the base principle. Because if you can be regulated, that means you are a central force of control that a government can put pressure upon. And if that central point of control exists, then they will put pressure on it. And if that pressure point works to the point that it actually regulates your entity, then that fact that that exists at all is why you should be able to be regulated in the first place. Because the fact that that, the, the fact that regulation worked means that you could have rugged someone.
3: Okay, so Armand, let's poke in on this because I, I vividly remember when everyone else was asleep and we were talking in the cabin. Damn, in the that late was late night, probably three in the morning. Wait a, good a little talk. bit of a THC, probably. Whatever we had going on in the yeah, background. Yeah, the, the talk that kept me up. For a <laughs> <laughs> should have been there, man. Well, you're here now. You're here now. So uh, we were talking about this idea, which is basically what you're talking about. It's like, if you can be regulated, then you should be. Well, um, can. Ethereum be regulated and I I know the position you're going to take here. Um you're mm-hmm. going to say that it cannot be. But like in the United States, it certainly can be to citizens of the United States in how right. you buy it, how you transact. Like um
2: you as a citizen are
3: extremely regulatable. Of course. So um what is your response to that? Like I know you're going to say well Ethereum is is beyond the United States, but like for the, the Just end even user.
0: looking back at the staking situation would be a great example. Right. Here. Like,
3: or like just in the, in the examples that have literally played out right in front of us, like on the app layer, like yep. these things have actually played out. And like, it, it's not that far of a stretch to go from the app layer to the protocol layer, honestly, like particularly mm-hmm. for an end user who exists in the United States. So like, if you can be regulated, then you should be like, I don't agree.
2: As an individual, you mean?
3: Yeah, like as me, like I'm a citizen here and they're going to tell me I can't do this, I can't do that. It's like, well, that sucks. Right.
2: Yeah, so there's this trope out of the Bitcoin space is that like when any uh, nation state bans Bitcoin, they're not actually banning Bitcoin, they're actually just banning their citizens from accessing Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Precisely. But that's not, Bitco- that's not Bitcoin's problem, that's the nation state's problem. And like that's something that like crypto just can't solve. It's like Ethereum can be built and function fine regardless of the US's stance on it, but if the U.S. turns authoritarian and says like, "Hey, if you touch Ethereum, we're going to throw you in jail," like Ethereum that's not well now expand it to it the expand that,
3: expand that to the Western world. Now the Western world can access it. Now expand it to the globe. Now no one can access and the blockchain. Done. It's like well, now the blockchain is useless. Like it, it can't yeah, happen
0: if, if there was literally a full sweep. Could happen. Yeah, sure.
3: And to his point, well, if it can, then it that should. Like it. can no, like, happen. No, like, no way. If it sure, can, why not? It, you're, Why not? to quote you Global if it can inter- then it should State
2: coordination
1: no well
0: way. okay there'd always be some like country that would show up like Djibouti that would say like we're
4: We'll will be crypto. Friendly. The game theory plays out for them, you know, right? And we will like, see okay, this like massive like,
3: <laughs> migration to Djibouti. But like to his point, exactly to his point though, if it can, As the prophecy foretold. <laughs> if it can, then it should. I've always
0: wanted to go to Djibouti, for the record. My, <laughs> but,
3: like if it can, then it should is a bit ridiculous in that sense, well, like to the end user.
4: It, it obviously applies to to you know companies in in the crypto space, but I don't necessarily know if it's collectively exhaustive towards towards every type of regulation because if we expand it out to the whole economy, like the housing market is, is fairly distributed. I mean, you can make an argument that certain lenders are, are, you know, somewhat centralized, but I don't know if it's collectively exhaustive in terms of everything in terms of when we're really looking at a capitalist society, what are the leaks? Where, what should a, a better version be? I don't know if that model is, uh, encompasses everything. And I still get back to, you know, my, my point that, um, you know, if if we do think the leak in capitalism is the corruption part, it's the fact that like if you have enough money, you can use that money to influence the regulation, which is where which are the seeds for corruption to to grow. Okay, you, you would you call oh, it you a leak? guys want to hear a hot yeah. take from Arthur Hayes? Yes. Let's hear it.
2: We we recorded with Arthur Hayes. The episode will be out next week. Uh, we yeah. asked him what he denominates his his uh, assets in. So, like, yeah, when you trade, like are you trading against, uh you know, trying to grow your USD, trying to grow, grow your BTC, trying to grow your ETH? You want to know what he said?
3: I'm, I can't Hydro,
2: wait. H- hydrocarbons. Wow. What? what? Hydrocarbons, as in he denominates Oil. in energy. And so he says that, like, he denominates in, like, how much energy can I command? And, you know, all, and if you really get down to it, like, capitalism capital is all about like how how much influence does that thing have upon the world how much physical atoms can you reorient with your money that you have on hand or your liquid capital that you have on hand and so the only reason why like apple stock is valuable is because it influences something that's very very powerful which is apple and <coughs> apple can reorient the atoms of the world and so when and when Arthur Hayes, we were talking to him about like, how do you denominate your assets? And he, he says his denominator is in energy, which Europe is extremely short right now. No and like, you, the, you, the, the, last thing you, that you'll always buy is energy, as in like warmth, uh, and food, calories, and like food is a derivative of energy. And so he denominates in energy, which is basically a statement of I denominate in the thing that can reorient the atoms of the universe to the way I see fit.
3: Man, I uh, when you dropped that line, I immediately looked to Steven to uh, gauge his reaction, like a poker player watching mm, the yeah. flop. And Steven <laughs> Stephen did not blink. No, uh, he did <laughs> not. He did not react whatsoever. He's, he's done this before. Uh, Stephen, what do you think about that?
1: <laughs> denominating in energy or denominating the
3: hydrocarbons? A, the the quote itself.
1: I think it's I think it's pretty big brain. I think it's the most (laughs) fundamental need. It's like, it's like what, uh, it it feels very sailor esque in a way, just Mm, moving atoms across the universe and optimizing for that. And and I I wonder if that, if that's really what capitalism itself is optimizing for, like just efficiency of like energy creation, energy transfer, if that's what it all is like at its, at its root. But then that kind of leads me into my, my next, thing, which is that like, aren't there things in society that aren't like just energy trans maximum energy transfer, maximum energy conversation,
3: love, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the end of interstellar, which is the right ending. <laughs> Boom.
1: Oh, don't don't derail this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great debate. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, I'm curious for David, like where Do you think, like, are there any areas of society where you think capitalism, like, actually doesn't work? Can
0: I I also add to the question a little bit? Because I think it'd be a cool way to to explore this and and close it out. Mm -hmm. And David can kick it off. But I I, I think the more bit zoomed out question here is, like, what we've explored is that capitalism makes sense in so many ways. You know, I kind of... You know, I took I took that narrative in the beginning more so just for the sake of like starting the conversation, giving us the the mainstream narrative that exists today. And I think that it sounds like all of us here want a version of capitalism that has existed. But I'm curious if we were really to to hit the reset button here, and you were to begin a nation state from scratch, and you you were in charge, it was up to you. What would be the system that you would implement from? The beginning, like what is the right? And, I, and maybe you've already touched on this enough, David, but I'm curious if there's more to it. Like, how would you really approach this if you were creating from scratch?
2: Brand new nation state, all myself. I get to start <laughs> it from scratch. You're George great. Washington. David Coin. Dave Topia. Oh,
0: George Washington. <laughs> George Washington, the GOAT. His you dreams fulfilled. Put yourself in Huff, his shoes. Hofmanistan. <laughs> you have wooden teeth. <laughs> statues. Great names. <laughs> Statues of his beard.
2: Um I mean, I kinda think that the the protocol of the United States of America kinda got it right. And they did a fantastic just absolutely bang up job with what they've done with the tools that they had at the time. <laughs> right, um, out, right out. Right <laughs> out. I, I would just like to i I I would just choose to redo that same experiment to the best of, of the ability to coordinate that just With a little bit, just kind of like, can we just start from scratch with the 10 commandments? Like, can we write the 10 commandments, but the 2022 version? And I would just, I would just restart the same formula of the United States that just accounts for the modern day tools that we have at our disposal and our modern days ways of like having a vehicle for democracy. And I I think Mm -hmm. that's the biggest flaw in the United States of America is that it was created with the right ethos in mind. The ethos is correct. The tools were also correct in the 1800s, but like now they're outdated and the the antiquity of the Constitution has been like it's it's showing its age and so I would like to just like redo the whole thing over again, but like now with the modern tools and I don't really think that there's any the ethos is correct it's just like the tools got old and so that's how I would do it
4: hmm. I'll give a I'll give two two things if we had to like uh, iterate on it or, or start start again. Um, I've I mentioned already, but like, I think the, the no money in politics thing is, is yeah. important. Like, um, mm. you know, I, I don't think it's part of free speech that you can allocate capital to, you know, your, your policy directions of, of, of choice. And I know there's legal issues with that, but I, I still think, uh, there's a better way. So th- that's one to keep that part brief. But then secondly, you know, we often regulate to protect and, you know the the biggest part of of capitalism, which has brought it forward and brought so many people out of poverty, is is the innovation part. And so it'd be interesting to to regulate for innovation. And I'm actually really interested to see how optimism's uh, retroactive public goods mm-hmm. plays out. You know, there used to, uh, I think Peter Diamandis came up with this idea of the X Prize. Here's something that innovation that we need. Here are the criteria you need to meet and here's some money that you're going to get. And so it would be interesting to see if regulation could um ins- incentivize um uh innovation maybe not in, in, in as like letting the market do what it may, but satisfying some criteria like we we need this type of energy system. We need these type of things and and maybe find a new way to kind of uh incentivize the market in maybe a more focused, you know, uh, away like an X prize or a retroactive public good. I agree, and and uh, I think where where my head's at is like I like all these
3: mini experiments that we're able to conduct in crypto, where it's like a uh, a nation state can't fail. You can't try something brand new, but a protocol can, and like you know the the contributors and the participants can uh lose their money, and that's fine. Or you get, you have the incentive to maybe in moons, but like we we can conduct these mini experiments to see like oh well, what 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 would be better perhaps and i think optimism is like a an interesting experiment really
1: yeah i think in the future i mean one of the problems with capitalism is that it it really only optimizes for for profit which is like a useful metric in probably like 80 or 90% of everything right and produces largely results that you want but there are obviously areas of society where you you don't Want to optimize for profit, and I, I think one of the problems is that we haven't created any other way to to optimize for anything else, right? Like, if there was like a version of capitalism where you could optimize for well-being, like if just human well-being, and that was yeah. like a thing that was equivalent to like money, could be like tokenized in some sort of incentive-based way, like you would probably get better results from a lot of things in society. And I, I do think in the distant future, like when we Look at problems we have today. Like, there's, oh, like, like, obviously, like, black America is just absolutely getting wrecked right now, largely. And the way that we currently solve that problem is what we rely on the free market to do some stuff, but it, it obviously doesn't work. Or we like elect these. Largely morons to kind of go to this building and like basically just re- run for re-election over and over again, and, and like it, like I, I feel like a future world where they just like run a simulation through some like computers and they're like these are the optimal policies we we'll just right. implement the like would they look back on us being like what the hell like, like were designing
3: you doing? an incentive system to allow something to thrive is the way. And like, just, we need to identify how to design an incentive system. And it's like in our discord, we have uh, some guys who are investing for um, like philanthropy, right? Like we have Franco, we have Kunal. And I, I asked them, you know, this was months ago, but I asked them like, so how do you guys even analyze your investments? They're like, we don't even know like, we don't even know how to measure impact on our, on our like philanthropy investments. Yeah. And it's like, um, you know, like, really identifying how you can help people with dollars is, is going to be a huge unlock one day.
0: Mm. Yeah. Big time. I, I I look at this problem as like, I I don't think capitalism is the problem so much as kind of what I opened up with and just wanted to scratch, which is that I don't think that the right people uh, are in the position to actually make the decisions necessary for capitalism to keep evolving. I'm with David in that. I think this was an incredible system And if we were to do it again, it would probably just be like a bit of a derivative or remix or an iteration of the capitalism to see that we see today. And I'm with you, Stephen, in that we need the three Ps. We need profit because that moves people and creates innovation but we need to take care of people we need to take care of the planet these are obvious things that just uh, we have to have part of the equation and I think that the reason we don't have them as part of the equation is because honestly we don't have enough people that care we don't have enough people that show up to vote for these matters and represent us and like Nick was saying again earlier in the conversation to put people in place that actually represent us to make the decisions for us that pay attention and are paid for a living to spend the time to identify identify the best paths toward optimization and equality for all people that hits the three P's. I think a lot of it comes down to actually the form of like democracy that we live in today, not so much the system we live in. The system is good. All of the things that we've experienced as benefits as being Americans today are unbelievable. I don't want to live in a radical free market like Qatar or Saudi Arabia because What if you were born into a lower class and you had to go build World Cup stadiums? You die. Like, that's the end of your life because you had to go and build a fucking, you know, $65 billion deal stadium and nobody cares if anything happens to you. And it's just, oh, it's a tragedy. It happened in Qatar. I don't want to live in that world. I want to live in a world where there's a certain amount of regulation. And I I think that that that's good.
3: So to me, it's about identifying the allocation between the three P's first. Uh, identifying what we want to contribute to each of the three, like maybe profit still maintains the largest allocation. I think that that probably makes sense, like capitalistic sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, like you know, how to how to design incentives to also suit those other two Ps, and and maybe that's like what crypto is going to unlock because what we're seeing now hope is, so. is like we're seeing cause all Protocols it's been and and coins that are like doing
0: that. All it's been and I'm very frustrated about this. All it's ever been for the last 20 years is just some idea in a textbook. Social entrepreneurship, social capitalism, for benefit corporations. Nobody gives a fuck. Nobody's doing anything about it. No one's starting these corporations. It's all just some like wishy-washy ideas. Oh, still. right
3: now it's all just for-profit corporations who try to uh actually market more sales by saying like, "Hey, we're we're philanthropic on the back end." Yeah. Like like we we pledge to give some percentage of whatever no to something and it's like yeah but we don't know what you're giving you're probably giving very little if if anything to to it's, this filmed up arm it's
1: usually just marketing right yep David, do, do you have any uh do you have any final closing takes thoughts for us
3: before we
2: yeah so it's, it's about crypto though. That's um, that's fine. That's that's people, the, the people
1: people expect that at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shocker. <laughs> Guys, Guys, it's about crypto to talk about- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I,
2: I, just a lesson that I've I've learned from like my own experience with crypto uh is that like in in college like I majored in psychology, right? And then I go and get this like social uh services job out of school. Like, of all my friends in college, I'm, like, the last one that I thought would be, like, an entrepreneur, like, building a business and and leading this. And I think that's because crypto is this, like, landscape of surface area that is very just inherently entrepreneurial. And so, like, regardless of whether, like, if your threshold for being an entrepreneur is, like, this high, like as in like you were never going to do that, like you're you're not really about you. Crypto like helps, is it's such a conducive level of entrepreneurialism that it like really brings it out of you. And so like, and that's just because probably crypto is so unsaturated as a market that it brings out the entrepreneur out of a lot of people. And there's also just so much inherent surface area for people to see opportunity in crypto and build something that... And then, and then also at the same time, going back to what I was saying with like, I just, I would just redo the United States, but with modern tools, like one of these tools is is like this ability to like recirculate capital a lot faster. And that's why these bull markets go so fast. That's why it's so easy to spin up a DeFi app and like get a hundred million TVL relatively quickly. Like it's easier to like, crypto is a test bed to test your shit super fast. Mm. And, re- and that's true at a protocol level, but it's also true as like a content creator level, the level that I'm familiar with. And so, like, I think there's some sort of regeneracy foundation about what crypto is that because it's inherently about capital, because the surf- the surface area for entrepreneurship is so strong and the- this ability to circulate wealth between people and between agencies is so strong that like there's inherently like a ba- a new basal of like regeneracy in terms of capitalism that has regeneracy kind of built closer into the foundation a little bit. Uh, and so that kind of is my, my, what makes me optimistic and kind of what I've been thinking about as you guys have been talking.
0: Hell yeah. Mic drop. It was fantastic, boys. Um, for everyone listening, tweet us your thoughts, hop in the discord. Let's keep this conversation going because I think this is a fun one, especially this, uh, this topic as a whole. stay okay, so will we next week. That's a wrap. Peace. Bye.